0: Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Wrap podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayrenoldswrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. From time to time on the podcast, we will use Bible classes and sermons that were delivered at the Somerdale Church of Christ in Somerdale, Alabama, or other locations where I've had the opportunity to speak. And so this particular broadcast is one of those sermons from Somerdale. We hope that you enjoy it.
1: I'll be reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to, them his, he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We know this story, In
0: Luke 15, because it's one of the most familiar to us, it's read, it's studied, it's preached, it's taught over and over again, and uh, some might say it's a little cliche to use it for a Father's Day sermon, but that's all right, because I love this text, not just because of the familiarity it is with us, but because specifically we learn a lot about the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father from this story. This morning as I was coming in, and I don't know if it was planned, I'm not sure which teacher did it, but uh, Natty gave this to me. Did any of y'all see these? Some of your kids have these? These are fantastic. Uh, This little Superman here, it perfectly goes along with what we're talking about this morning. I look forward to digging into that Hershey's bar. Uh, I'll set it right here if I can make it work. All right, there we go. This little Superman. When I was a kid, we used to play on a playground in a central part of our city. This is before we could drive, and before we really were, were monitored all the time. We'd get on our little bicycles and go as far as our little legs could travel to a, to a little playground. And I remember as a child being uh, really looking up to superheroes. My grandma would tie a, a, a little uh, towels with a little bobby pin to our neck, and we'd run around the house and be Superman and Batman and all that stuff. But I remember when we were on the playgrounds, there was a totally different conversation. We weren't pretending to be Superman or Batman or anything like that. Usually, somehow, on our playground, it got into, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad's bigger than your dad. There was a kid named Mike that was on our playground. His dad was in Vietnam. We didn't mess with Mike. We didn't mess with him. But I remember that conversation so many times taking place between the children is, my dad's going to take care of you. And I was sharing that story with someone many years later and they said it was the same way on my playground. We would always talk about our dad being bigger or being able to beat up somebody else's father. And that's because our fathers are really our first superhero. When we are hurting, when we need help, uh, we do, we run to mama because she'll kiss it and make it feel better. But when we need strength, We often will lean on our fathers. And to us, we need a superhero. We need someone that we can look up to and model ourselves after. As much as we might like superheroes that are in movies and comic books and cartoons, those are fictional characters that do not exist. But our fathers ought to be there for us in our lives, setting a tremendous example for us in our Christian faith and in our daily walk. The prodigal in the story needed a hero. He put himself in a position, and it was his own choice, but he put himself in a position where he had literally nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. He hit rock bottom, as they say. And in his life, he needed somebody to be able to tell him it was going to be better. And he, despite what he had done to his father, despite what had happened to his older brother, and he knew, had to have known, there was going to be some fallout when he got back. The one thing he remembered about his father was his grace and his mercy and his love. He knew he could go back to his father. And that's exactly what he did. Some say this story is... In the top three of the stories of Jesus, and you ask people about the prodigal son, and they'll tell you. They may even know the chapter in Luke chapter 15, but I wonder how much of the story we really take to heart. To help us really process the story, I want to spell out the word father. I tell people all the time, I love acrostic sermons. They're easy, and I'm a simple creature. So we're going to spell out the word father using some of the characteristics in Luke chapter 15. One of the things that I admire about the father in this story is his forgiveness And that's really the most familiar part to us in the story as we see the way that he is so forgiving So let's just get that out of the way. Let's touch on that first The father forgives his son. He doesn't sulk. He doesn't fume. He doesn't fuss He doesn't lecture and boy as a dad that's hard. That is so hard When you've told your child over and over and over again, don't do it, and they do it anyway, you want to sit down at the edge of the bed and say, told you so. But the father in the story doesn't do that. Instead, he offers forgiveness look here with me in verse 22 says but the father said to his servants bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry now his older brother was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing keep on down go with me to verse 31 he tells the older son after he gets upset He says, Son, you, the older son, are with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. Fathers, our children need to hear that they have been forgiven. But they also need to see by our example what it means to practice forgiveness. You see, both the sons knew something about their father. And that was he was willing to forgive and to accept them in the state that they were in. You ever wondered why the older brother gets so furious about it? And why, why sometimes the older brother is even part of the story at all? Well, if you'll look back at the very first few verses, you learn that the father had separated to the two sons their inheritance. Both of the sons were given their due. So if, and many times in Jewish culture, the older son would get about two-thirds of everything, and the younger son would get about a third of everything. So when the older son hears the music and the dancing, and he sees, and hears the message about them killing the fatted calf, whose calf was that? Whose house were they partying in? Who had robbed the pantry of the food? Who had soiled the linens on the table? You see, the older son says, oh, that's mine. I got my inheritance. That boy of yours, he went out and he squandered what he had. But basically what he's telling his father is, you've already given all this to me. His selfishness comes out in the story. And that's something we miss. Because we're too busy thinking and reading about the prodigal son that we forget that there's another son that is in a worse case spiritually that's still inside the house. Sometimes I feel like that older son. And there are times we talked about last week and a couple of weeks ago, we, we have people we're supposed to be kind to, and it's hard to be kind to certain people. We, we just don't want to say a kind word because we'd rather just not say anything at all because we don't, we don't want to engage in conversation with certain people. But the father shows what it means to forgive. And I'll bet that older son, as he lived through the rest of his life, probably regretted some of the things that he said and he did to his father as well. Our children need to hear and see the message of forgiveness. I want you to notice the letter A. We'll, we'll mention it as approachability. The father was approachable. A conversation could be had. I, I love to see the relationship some of these dads have with their boys and that they're calling them and, he, and, and, and asking them questions. It gets better as we get older. I mentioned when we were little, I would go around the playground telling everybody my dad could beat up their dad Even though my dad's about 5'6", I'm bigger than he is, much bigger than he is But I would I would say that, you know, my dad was tougher, my dad was bigger, my dad was stronger But then I grew up a little bit And for some reason, when I got to be a teenager, my dad didn't know nothing, right? He didn't know a thing I used to think he was great, and he was smart, and he was he was awesome And then I got older, and I knew more than he did And it took me A few years a lot of years to realize the wisdom that I was missing out on during those rebellious times in my life this father is known and one of the things I appreciate about him is that he is approachable oftentimes in the church we have shepherds we have elders in the church that lead the congregation that in a way kind of fulfill that fatherly role to the congregation and our shepherds need to be approachable our Fathers, again, be approachable. Allow your children to come to you and allow them to talk to you and to spill their guts to you without judging them. Just listen. Just listen. That's hard. I know it is. But we need to be approachable. Listen to your children, even if you don't like what they have to say. An eight year old wrote this about love, true love. Ask what true love is. He says, Love is when my daddy reads me the bedtime story. True love is when he doesn't skip any pages. I remember as a child loving to hear stories read at my bedside. I made it a goal when my children were born to be with them every single night. Even if I was away from home, I would call and we would read the Bible together. We would pray together. And sometimes we'd read books. One of the ways my boys knew that they could keep me in the room is if we did a prayer list. And I had one that had a ledger pad. And every night, every night, he went through the ledger pad, and he'd flip a page, and we went through names and people, and I'm telling you, there were times that it was like 11 o'clock, I was like, your, your, your other brother's asleep now, okay? I need to come to you next, tomorrow night, <laughs> it'll maybe last. But I remember going through these names of all these people that he wanted to pray with, and I, I, I remember those moments, and I, I cherish those moments. I hope that they cherish those as well but we need to be approachable be there for your kids listen here in verse 12 it says that he is willing to able to go to his father and the younger son says father give me the portion of goods that fall to me he knows that he can approach his father and ask for this which is a ridiculous request by the way it's interesting that there are two individuals in the story that should be dead and aren't the first is the father to get his inheritance, he has to approach his father and say, Hey, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but let's pretend you are. I want what's given to me. I want to get my inheritance now. I want to get my portion. Can you imagine, as a father, having that conversation with your son? I want you to give me everything that's owed to me, and I want you to give it to me right now. I'm not married, don't have any kids, so I want to live my life. I want to go out and do my thing. Just give me all that money, and I'm just going to go have a wonderful, wonderful experience. And the dad does it approachable even though he didn't like what he had to say but that father was very much alive so he uses that conversation later on the older son and he uses it when he talks to the prodigal son that he was the one who was actually dead in jewish culture what they would do is they would literally have a funeral for the person who had decided to leave that we would see it as an excommunication they literally would have a funeral service and say that that individual no longer exists They're not a part of the family because they're not going to have any of the land or the homes or the cattle or anything available to that child they have chosen to go to a far country so coming home would have been a stranger to everyone there or to be treated like a stranger what did the what did the father have to do to get this money you ever thought about that you think he had a he went down to the to the bank and he said hey I need so many thousands of dollars. They didn't do that in that day. You know what they had to do to get the money? They had to sell property. They had to sell certain animals. They had to borrow money from other people in the community to make up what their net worth was. So when the father runs out to meet meet him on the road and to bring him in, that is just as much a, a loving thing as it is a security thing. Because if you ever wanted to murder someone, here's your chance. This guy doesn't exist. And if all the neighbors had had to loan money and the banks had to go and borrow money to give to the man to say this is how much your son's is, this guy's scraggly and he looks nasty. They would have looked down upon him. He's already buried. He's dead. But this father is so approachable that the prodigal son knows he can go to him and say, I've made some mistakes. I've done all these terrible things. Please, please forgive me. Notice the same thing. Verse 20, he starts working it over in his mind. He says, I'm going to go to my dad. And it says, when he's a great way off, the father comes running. He, with compassion, embraces him and he kisses him. This father is approachable. He is there for his kids, even when they make the worst possible decisions. I don't know there's much more difficult worst decisions that he could have made at this point point. and later we find in verses 28 through 32 as he has this conversation with the older son i would have never t- have you ever had said the conversation with your kids i would have never talked to my dad like that i would have man if i had said i remember one time saying something to my mom and somehow i ended up across the floor with a red mark on my face you bang you don't talk to your mama like that i didn't talk to mama like that anymore i promise you at least not in dad's presence. I didn't do that. You say, I never talked to my dad. The way, I would never talk to my dad the way that these boys talked to their father. But they knew that they could tell their dad exactly what they were thinking. And he listens. The Lord hears our prayers, doesn't he? And he responds, regardless of what we've done against him. The letter T will say is that he is teaching I love the way he teaches both the younger son and the older son. 31 and 32, again, he says to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. Everything here, I've already given it to you. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He takes time with the younger son, he uses expressive terms, he shows compassion. He shows the significance of giving somebody a second chance he he opens up the home even though the father is a stranger in his own home the older son already owns everything he says I think this is something we need to do this is the right thing to do even though the older brother would have disagreed then he takes the eldest son aside and he says this is a teachable moment now he tells him your brother was dead he was not with us he was gone we have assumed that he was gone forever but now, he is here, he's alive again. It's like a resurrection. And this was the right thing to do for your brother. You don't nag, or you don't assert authority as the dad said, let me tell you, this is what we're going to do, and here's why we're going to do it. He, he explains, he takes a teachable moment and says, this is why, son, that we do these things. This is the reason why. And I'll tell you, there were, there were so many times when my kids were little that I did not want to explain and I love that phrase. Have you heard this one before? Because I said so. Oh, you, did you hear that one before? Why do I need to do this, Dad? Because I said so. I just want a t-shirt. I just unbuttoned the big, here's the t-shirt. Because I said so. I am so tired of having to explain to my kids why they need to do what they, just do what you're told. Amen. You know, just do what I tell you to do. Your life would be easier. My life would be easier. Your mom's life would be easier. Just do what I say. But this father does something different. He actually teaches them and shows them not only by his example, by his words. This is the reason why we do it, son. You, you, I just want you to understand that you're making an educated decision here. And he teaches him. Your kids are going to learn a lot of stuff. A lot of things. And I'll tell you, a lot of the things that they learn and the things that they remember, they don't lay at the feet of the church building and they don't lay even at the feet of the elders or the preacher, but fathers, they lay at our feet. If you want your child to learn the things that are right, you have to teach them. I never thought I'd see a day in our country where kids wouldn't even learn basic U.S. history, you know? They wouldn't learn basic principles. I I never thought I'd see a day where morality was cast aside in every way and that our entertainment would be so corrupted, but it lays at my feet to ensure that my children are learning what's right. The same is true when it comes to the Bible. I can't expect Brandon to teach my teenagers everything they need to know about Jesus and the Bible. I cannot expect the preacher to give my children, they're not going to become a Christian by default, As a father, it's my role to be the spiritual leader of that household. I pray with my kids. I study the Bible with my kids. I bring my kids to church. And there are times, I know when I was young, I didn't really, I didn't feel like going. But my parents said, you're going to go. It's good for you. It's, as listen to the father here, it's the right thing to do. You're going to get good from it. And I'm so grateful now as I'm older that I listen to that teaching. Look for teachable moments every day. The H will be humility. And this is the part where I I would say if I were in this story, I would disagree with the Father. I would have had that because I said so moment. But the Father in the story is so humble. He's so humble. I remember hearing this sermon one time many, many years ago as a child. and, And the preacher said that in order to take off running down the road, he would have had to have raised his robe. Which is disrespectful, by the way. Did you know in, in the Old Testament you could, they had to build the steps where you didn't see up a man's robe as he went into the temple? It was specifically just long enough. You never, ever raised your robe to show anyone your legs. But the father would have had to have girded himself and run to meet the child that was dead and now alive. I wonder sometimes if he sat on that chair on the front porch... And as the son would come up to see if he was making his way up the road, see, he knew his son as much as the son knew the father. Maybe he was waiting for that moment. The the son rehearses his speech, doesn't he? I'm going to go home. I'm going to say, Father, I've just been terrible. I want to just be a servant of yours. Just let me, your servants have so much because I have lived a terrible life. The father's rehearsing his speech too. And instead of giving him a big speech on the road, what does he do? He grabs him. He hugs him, he kisses him, he welcomes him, he is humble. He allowed one son to fall in order to learn, and he allowed the other son to complain before he taught him. The Bible teaches us don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't push your kids into making bad decisions. We're respectful, even though, again, they're going to make bad decisions. They all do, but we did too at that age, and that's hard for me to process. Keep a cool head. Never let your anger or your frustration overtake you when you're talking to your family. In this situation, it was all about the love, wasn't it? He respected his sons, he listened to what they had to say, and then he taught them. The E would be emotions. This is the opposite of what I was taught as a child. I heard many times men say, you don't cry. You heard that? A, a, a man doesn't cry in front of his family. I can count on one hand how many times I saw my father cry. And it's not because he told me I couldn't, but because he just didn't show emotion, especially in public. Never showed emotion. And there were generations like that where we were taught and trained, you, you don't be an emotional person. You need to be the rock of that family. You need to be the, the, the foundation. They need to look up to you. You don't, you don't fall to pieces. I think if I had witnessed this event I would have cried too and if my son came running down the road after all that he had done for me I don't know that I could have even stood I would have been weeping the father is incredibly affectionate he kisses his son he wraps him up in his arms and what a great message to us that our fathers and our sons need to show their emotion there's nothing wrong with showing emotion it's biblical Jesus did it, and Jesus did it in the presence of strangers. I was preaching a sermon once. I had to compose myself like three times before I finished the sermon. I, I, don't, I try not to cry in the pulpit, I really do. And I struggled through a sermon once. And I, I would stop, and I would pause, and then I would continue. And you've probably seen me do that a few times since I've been here. But there was a sermon I preached that was, I was so pressured not to show emotion. And when I finished, and I got down off the pulpit, and I was walking down through, as I usually do, out the front doors to go and greet everybody. Herb Wagner, one of the members there at the church, Herb grabbed me, and he had tears going down his eyes. And he poked me on the cheek like this. He said, there's nothing wrong with showing emotion, son. There's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes they need to see the preacher's tears fall. And I was, Whew. <laughs> that was that got me. Here's this man, he's had four children, he's raised them in the Lord, one's a preacher, and he says to me, it's okay, son, to show emotion. The R would be redemption. The redemptive story here begins at verse 22, because the father says to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, breed out the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat. And be merry. And then going on down again to the last few verses, he's telling the older son, you need to, you need to see that your, your, your brother was dead and he's now alive. The consistent thing in the story is the father wants to redeem both sons. One knew he was lost and the other didn't. But the father loves them the same. It's very dangerous to show favoritism. When you go back to the old testament it happened in fact nearly all the patriarchs had an issue with favoritism you don't believe it how did abraham get so much wealth he had a brother didn't he favoritism was shown to abraham and since he learned favoritism from his father he then has two sons early on in the story he has several others later with keturah but in the first part of the story he has hagar and he has ishmael and then he has sarah finally has isaac And he shows favoritism towards Isaac. So what would you imagine would happen when Isaac has two sons? He has Jacob and he has Esau. And once again, favoritism takes its precedent there in the story. And it will continue to go for many other generations. But Jacob was the favorite of his mother. And Esau was the favorite of his father. And it split that house in two. Surely they learned their lesson after at least three biblical generations of favoritism. Or did they? Because Jacob has 12 kids, but only one got a special robe. Do you see the pattern? Even in biblical stories, there is a problem with showing favoritism towards one child over another. That that should never be said. It's not seen here in the story. You might say, well, but he gave that younger son all of his inheritance. Well, it wasn't up to half his wealth. It was a small portion of his wealth. The jealousy of the older son shows that everything in the house was now his. If there's to be favoritism, you might actually say it's not to the prodigal, it's to the older son. But the father treats them both exactly the same. He listens, he loves, he shows emotion, he expresses himself, he teaches. The wonderful thing is the prodigal son knew his father could be counted on for his gracious and merciful nature. He was unsure how he'd be received by his brother, but he knew how his father would receive him. His father was a man of integrity. And the father not only accepts him, but he redeems him to his previous state. That robe, that ring, those sandals were meant for that boy to wear. Even though he felt unworthy. He, he, he said, I can't, I can't be restored to such a state. But yet the father redeems him. Paul will talk about this a little bit throughout many of the scriptures as he writes fathers we need to make sure our children are redeemed that they are safe and saved now if you're you're father your kids need to play catch in the yard with you they need to wrestle on the floor they need to see you laugh until your belly hurts they need to see you with tears in your eyes you need to eat with them at the dinner table you need to talk to them about their day you need to reward them when they do good and you need to correct them when they do wrong they need to see how to treat a woman By the way you treat your wife and when it comes to work they need to see a work ethic in you in us that we are as men showing our families this is what you do you work but most of all fathers our children need to see our faith the redemption part of the story is pretty clear because this father shows his love for both children and god says it's such a good story let's put it in the bible Because our Heavenly Father is exactly the same. He loves us. He's merciful. He's gracious. Thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to RayReynoldsRap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus.